please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Will the upcoming Porsche IPO be as popular as its sports cars? Adobe is buying its rival Figma for $20 billion. We'll tell you why we think that price is just too high. It's been a strong year for utilities so far, but the party might be ending. Stick around to find out why. This is Investing Insights. Welcome to the new Investing Insights. I'm your host, Ruth Saldana. We are bringing you a new format with a mix of market news, analyst insights, and personal finance tips. So let's get started with a look at your Morningstar headlines. In the coming weeks, Volkswagen is expected to launch the Porsche IPO. Billions are expected to be raised in this initial public offering, which will help both companies fund their moves into electric vehicles. Now, Porsche sold a record number of cars in 2021, despite global market challenges. And sales also look good this year. But investors are questioning the deal's timing as inflation batters global markets and Europe faces a looming energy crisis. In addition, the same CEO is leading both Volkswagen and Porsche, and that's raising conflict of interest concerns. Richard Hilgert is a senior equity analyst for Morningstar Research Services. He says he's concerned about the timing of the Porsche IPO and the current management structure, although he is a fan of the special dividend that Volkswagen intends to pay out and the use of the IPO proceeds to help finance the push into electric vehicles. He notes that automotive sector market valuations have been hurt by factors like the possibility of a recession, the chip shortage, and the Ukraine crisis. The equity analyst thinks that there's a high likelihood that the IPO will be completed. You can read more about this at the link in the show notes. Adobe is buying design software rival Figma for $20 billion. The deal has drowned out the software company's solid third quarter results and mixed fourth quarter outlook. Adobe is planning to pay for the collaborative web-based app using both cash and stock. The deal needs regulatory and investor approval, but is expected to close next year. Morningstar views the move as strategically excellent, but we are concerned about both the timing and the very high valuation. As a result, we've slightly lowered our estimate for how much we think the Adobe stock is worth. We now estimate the stock is worth about $450, down from $500 earlier. We view the shares as attractive, but see heightened uncertainty as the environment continues to deteriorate. Plus, the Figma acquisition muddies the financial picture further. Adobe noted solid demand throughout the quarter from individuals, small and mid-sized businesses, and enterprise customers, as Adobe expands its portfolio for digital media and digital experience. And we remain impressed with Adobe's ability to grow its users and reach retention rates well above the pre-pandemic levels. We are lowering our estimate of what we think Compass Mineral stock is worth. The salt and fertilizer producer is issuing and selling over 6.8 million shares to Coke Industries for $252 million. Now that works out to an average price of $36.87 per share. Morningstar views the stock issuance as decreasing ownership value to existing shareholders because the price is well below our estimate. However, the move does make strategic sense. 
$200 million of the proceed will pay for most of the phase one construction of Compass's lithium operations, while the rest will be used to pay for debt. The company also released a technical study on the lithium project. We updated our forecast for higher capital expenditures and slightly lower unit production costs. We are in favor of Compass's plans to enter the lithium industry and thinks the projects will create value for shareholders. Morningstar estimates Compass Mineral stock is worth $80, down from $85. We think the shares are currently undervalued. Repeated studies have shown that investors who actively trade tend to, well, underperform the market. Despite the results of such studies, including Morningstar's annual Mind the Gap, this trading behavior continues. Morningstar's behavioral economist Sarah Newcomb says at least four factors play a role in problematic trading, including the fear of losing money. She says that that can lead some to actively trade. Newcomb says that some investors who are faced with the pain of significant losses decide to deviate from their long-term strategy in order to reduce the uncertainty of the moment. But because markets have historically rebounded, she cautions against this in the long run. Newcomb says that greed is another factor. It can impact investors similar to the way fear can, since intense emotions can cloud our judgment. And overconfidence and sensation-seeking are additional motivations behind frequent trades. She notes that playing the market is like an adrenaline rush, and that market gamblers tend to gravitate towards stocks that have lottery-like qualities. You can read more about this in our show notes. For new retirees, 2022 has been challenging because both stock and bond prices have fallen. And now there are signs that things might actually get worse in the short term before they improve. So what should you do if you're retiring into a down market? Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance, Christine Benz, recently spoke to Vanguard's Head of U.S. Wealth Planning Research, Maria Bruno, and the two of them outlined some strategies. Listen in. Even as investors worry about the future with corporate layoffs and rising inflation, there are some pockets where things have been going well. Utilities, for example. It's been a strong year for utilities stocks, as investors have flocked to these dividend-playing names despite the fact that they started 2022 expensive. So what's driving the continued rally in utilities? Morningstar's Jakir Hossein is here to tell us. Jakir, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So why are utilities continuing to do so well? Yeah, so right now in a period of economic uncertainty, uh, people don't really know if we are going to actually be in a recession or if it is going to be a soft landing. Um, and so demand is questionable for a lot of areas in the market, um, namely cyclical areas like in tech or retail, um, whereas utilities uh, demand tends to be a lot more stable. Uh, they know that their consumer base is going to, they realize that a lot of people, utilities are a necessity. And so what that does for utility companies is that it makes revenue a lot more stable compared to, say, a tech firm or a software firm. And so that's very attractive for investors because they're looking for certainty um, in an uncertain time. Do we think there's some room for these companies to grow or have they about hit their limit? Yeah, so Travis Miller, who's Morningstar's utility strategist, he th- he argues that there's actually a lot of growth uh, coming up for utilities, probably more than he has seen uh, than any other period. And a lot of that is due to how uh, there is now an effort to push towards clean energy and a greater intensity than ever before. 
And so you see this happening at both the federal and state level. On the federal level, you have the Inflation Reduction Act um, bringing in incentives for uh, companies and really like it's just bringing in incentives for more uh, clean energy investment, uh, whether that be through tax credits or otherwise. And on the state level, you also have various states saying that in X amount of years, they want to reach uh, either carbon neutral or be fully renewable energy. And that what that's going to do for a lot of these utility firms, it's going to provide a lot of investment for them to grow and expand their networks so they can uh, supply that. Um, and we haven't really had that as a catalyst in any other to this level in any other period. Now, you mentioned both rising interest rates and inflation. Earlier this week, the Fed raised interest rates again to battle inflation. So how will this affect these stocks? Yeah, so interest rates and inflation are probably one of the two of the largest uh, long-term risks that we see happening for utilities companies. Um, and you know they're very uh, they're two sides of the same coin. The Fed is raising rates to bring down inflation. And both of those, uh, hurt utility companies on a much more funda level, fundamental level than you would probably see in any other area of the market. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that depending on the state, utility firms have an upper limit to how much they can charge consumers for services. And so while in, say, for like grocery stores or retailers, they can increase prices to help offset their rising costs from inflation by making the consumer pay more, there's a limit to how much regulators will allow utility companies to pass on their increased costs to consumers. And so, you know, they can't go higher than that upper limit that's set by regulators and their costs can only keep going up. And on top of that, on the interest rate side, um, a lot of these companies are highly leveraged. Uh, Miller says that utility companies are probably the most leveraged businesses after banks. And so as interest rates rise, they're taking out a lot of loans to keep their businesses running. Um, that's just going to, higher interest rates are just going to increase their interest costs as well. So with all this said, do we have any buys in the space right now? Yeah, so right now, the sector is probably the most overvalued sector that we have, uh, that we see in, in the market. Um, it's a, currently trading at an average 8% premium to uh, Morningstar Fair Value Estimates. Uh, there's really only one stock that we actually see as undervalued among all the utility stocks that we cover, and that's Nisource. Um, it's currently rated as a four-star stock, so it's trading about at a 10% discount to its fair value. There are two other stocks that Miller highlights as uh, potential, like, they're basically trading at a fair value. Um, and so that's Dominion Energy, which is the only wide moat utility company in our coverage list. And that's largely due to the fact that it has a liquefied natural gas exporting facility. And they also have a lot of regularity support. Um, so as they you know, invest towards clean energy, uh, that's going to help them grow further. And the other pick would be Edison International, also trading in a range that they see as fairly valued. Um, it ha doesn't have any direct exposure to fossil fuels, and it's going to benefit again towards a push towards clean energy, especially as industries as electric vehicles take off and rely will rely on uh, those utility companies to help power them. Great. Thank you so much for joining us with your perspectives, Jakir. Thanks for having me. For new retirees, 2022 has been challenging because both stock and bond prices have fallen. And now there are signs that things might actually get worse in the short term before they improve. 
So what should you do if you're retiring into a down market? Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance, Christine Benz, recently spoke to Vanguard's Head of U.S. Wealth Planning Research, Maria Bruno, and the two of them outlined some strategies. Listen in. Hi, I'm Christine Benz for Morningstar. For new retirees, 2022 has been a challenging year in that we've had falling stock and bond prices. Joining me to discuss some strategies that new retirees should bear in mind in this environment is Maria Bruno. She's head of U.S. Wealth Planning Research for Vanguard. Maria, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Christine. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. So this year has been incredibly challenging for retirees. I think many of them have heard of the virtue of perhaps drawing in spending, reducing spending during this period. Can you talk about the benefits of reducing spending in periods in which your portfolio has declined and how, how people should think about that? Yeah, we talk a lot about that with investing in, in terms of focusing on the things you can control. Um, spending is certainly one of those when you think about the discipline part of it. Um, but it can be hard for retirees when you think about what, what they're spending on. I think the first thing would be to look at discretionary versus non-discretionary spending. Are there any you can flex on um, those nice-to-have expenses? Um, those would be the first place to, to look at in terms of flexibility. And I think this is a year where that flexibility is really being stress-tested. Um, we talk about rules of thumb a lot in terms of spending rates, and they are just that. So for many individuals, when the markets are up, we always advise them to really look at their spending and to be thoughtful and to reinvest surpluses to give them a buffer in these types of market environments when you know we're experiencing volatility it can give us a little bit of a buffer you know kind of a little bit of a a floor to give us a little bit more uh, ability to flex in those situations so think about that you know in terms of especially going forward to have flexibility um when you can cut back, because then that will give you even more flexibility down the road in those situations where the markets are more uncertain and it becomes more critical to think about spending and focus on meeting those those non-discretionary type, must-have type expenses. Okay. So I did want to touch on inflation because many people have gotten the message about, yes, it's important to try to reduce my spending if my portfolio balance is down. The question is, with inflation, especially inflation in some of those non-discretionary areas, food and gas prices, for example, people may literally have a difficult time reducing spending. How should people think about that? This is a, a very difficult one because there are certain things like healthcare, and you can just see it at the grocery store or you know uh, utilities and things like that, where it's becoming, you know, very apparent in terms of the impacts of inflation. Um, you know, for many individuals, some of this is already planned for when they do financial planning and they think about what their spending can be and what their portfolio sources and, and non-portfolio sources of income are. Um, so certainly you want to try first, you know, make sure you understand how much you're spending and where that money is going. And then also think about your income sources, right? So one example, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about this is Social Security. Social Security is indexed to inflation. So you know, those are things that as a retiree, you can think about, too, in terms of what the income sources are, your portfolio income, interest rates, you know, being higher for bond investors. That's not necessarily a bad thing in terms of income. So it's putting the pieces together and not just focusing on the expenses, but also looking at, OK, what are the income sources and how are they allocated to those expenses? 
Okay, so you referenced Social Security, Maria, mm-hmm. and I did want to dig into that because we had been seeing this trend for the past couple of years, at least, where it seemed like people were getting the message about the benefits of delaying filing. A question I think that probably is running across many pre-retiree or retirees' minds is whether if their portfolio balances are down, should they actually accelerate that claiming decision, maybe file a little earlier than they had expected to? How should they think about those two things, depressed portfolio balance versus that Social Security filing decision? That is a good one, right? So when you look at at Social Security um, and the options around Social Security, and again, these are for situations for individuals who haven't yet claimed, and really thinking through what the value of deferral is. As you've mentioned, I think many retirees are seeing the value of that, meaning for every year after full retirement age that you defer, there's an 8% increase in the benefit, and then it's also inflation adjusted. So there's a very rich benefit to deferring. So that's terrific. The question then is, okay, well, I need the income. How do I meet my expenses? And then that would be other sources of income and potentially um, portfolio-based withdrawals. And that may not necessarily be a bad thing. Um, You want to look at, well, what are your investment flows first and foremost? So spending from the portfolio isn't always spending quote unquote principal. There are income distributions and when we have experiences with high interest rates, that may be more interest income, for instance, for investors that have both stocks and bonds. So you wanna look at the inflows, but then also what you're spending from the portfolio. The reality of it is if you are thinking about deferring social security and that you may need to spend more from your portfolio during you know, this period leading up to that, that may be okay because then you may be getting the benefits later. It's really good to run the numbers on some of this to understand the trade-offs. Let's talk about asset allocation, which we've sort of touched on already, but I think that retirees may be feeling really nervous in that they've had the two key portions of their portfolio fall at the same time. So how should people, especially new retirees, approach asset allocation in in this environment? I'm sure many of them are pretty attractive to cash, just holding its ground in this environment. But can you talk through some of the key considerations that people should bear in mind when setting that asset allocation? I think that's more important now than ever before in terms of making sure you have a globally diversified, low-cost portfolio. And how you achieve that is first determining what your goals are and then asset allocate to that. So for many retirees, you want to make sure you have a globally diversified portfolio, meaning both U.S. and non-U.S. stocks and bonds, um, because we are a global economy and the markets will perform differently. Cash can play a role, but think about it more in terms of spending. Um, whether it's near-term spending, it might be okay to have a little bit of a buffer up to a year, 18 months uh, in cash, but anything more than that, you really need to understand that there's an opportunity cost to not being invested in the market. And that will manifest itself over time um, because the portfolio is not able to keep up with inflation. So cash plays a role, but think about more around principal preservation for short-term goals. Beyond that, you wanna make sure you have a well-diversified portfolio um, and rebalance to that. So sometimes a starting point could be to look at a target date fund. So many of of, um, financial institutions, there's a whole array of of balanced funds or target date funds. And that can be a good proxy for someone who's heading into retirement, but you really do wanna personalize that based upon what your specific goals are and your risk tolerance. Maria, super helpful rundown of some strategies that new retirees should be considering. Thank you so much for being here today. 
Thank you, as always, Christine. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Christine and Maria. Well, how did you like the new format of Investing Insights? We want to hear from you. Email us at podcast at morningstar.com. Also, subscribe to Morningstar's YouTube channel to see new videos about market news, personal finance, and investment picks. Thanks to podcast producer Jake Vankerson, who puts the show together. I'm Ruth Saldana, an editorial manager at Morningstar. Thank you for watching Investing Insights. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated.